there's one thing that makes me happy every week, it is that opening. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Shoutouts to Victor Vandalaw for providing us with the open for the Green Beige Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige, and we welcome you to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. AJ, how's it going, my brother? Doing well, sir. Doing well. Just chilling. How about yourself? I am not too bad. I am not too bad at all. I am really looking forward to this week's show because, you know, the NFL, it does. this is the gift that just keeps on giving. Very much so, boy. <laughs> you know, each week we come back to the Green Beige desk and we start by saying, this past week was so crazy. But while last week we had crazy combats, this week we had crazy occurrences. Well, first, mm-hmm. um, breaking news coming out of Cleveland yesterday was that Miles Garrett, all pro defensive end and pass rusher, was involved in a single vehicular accident where it is reported that his car turned over. All accounts show that he is fine with no broken bones and he has been released from the hospital. And of course, as you know, we are seeing our viewers joining us we thank you for joining us here on the green bridge podcast as always we invite you to like this video and hit the subscribe bell so that every time that we come on you will be notified that we are here so aj now let us get over to the games and you know um well as always we go off the rip we we had a butt punt this week and the safety that made Dan Orlovsky tweet, I've never been happier. Freedom. We had some pitchy woo-woo at the end of the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game that I'm sure had a large swath of the football-loving public pulling their collective hair out and setting fire to betting stubs all over the country. Let's get to it. So, mm. as always, we go off the rip in four-down territory. Here we go. So, on first down, the biggest winner of the weekend is... Uh, so, yeah, we're going with me first, of course. Um, my biggest winners are the Green Bay Packers, actually. Because for a game that, that was being highly touted as a meeting of greats or goats or whatever, it was one goat, but, you know, um, it was supposed to be the, you know, the, the headlining act was supposed to be Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. And it was neither in the end. The matchup ended up being about neither of them um it was more about fumbles and defense that was the name of the game uh because like the packers started off hot i think they scored it was a very their two very first two drives of the game they scored um and then there was a goal line fumble by it was aaron jones if i remember correctly and then that was it after that that was it and mind you the bucks had some turnover issues of their own brashad perryman had two in the game um but Tom Brady being the goat that he is, he was still able to come within an inch, a, a couple inches of, of winning it. He still kept them in the game on the offensive side, I would say, like k- kind of. But at the end of the day, it was mainly about defenses. It, 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 the reason I say that they're the biggest winners is because they did not look good, the Packers, that is, after um, that fumble. And, and granted, yes, the Bucks didn't look good either, but the Bucks defense, which I still think is legit, Packers defense is as well, but um, it was a situation where with Tom Brady not having uh, basically like so many of his usual weapons, the man had to play with Scotty Miller, had to be like a, a two to Russell Gage being the number one, who also had a, a fumble. 
and then bringing back Cole Beasley. Like the fact that Tom Brady didn't have um, all of these weapons, his usual weapons, and still was within a throw of winning that game. I think the Packers were able to escape, but it is it is a big win in the sense that based on how they started the season, they would not have wanted to go down one and two. So especially with two of the other three teams in the division winning over the weekend. So I think it was a great escape for them. And, and as such, they're my biggest winners. Okay, no problem. So my greatest, biggest winners for the weekend is the Indianapolis Colts. Now, you know, we poo-pooed all over the Colts after they started the season 0-2. And honestly, I don't think anybody could blame us for that. They tied with the Texans in week one, and then they got smoked by the Jaguars in week two. They looked awful, awful for the first two weeks and were a six and a half point underdog against the Chiefs in week three. For all intents and purposes, the Chiefs should have strolled into Lucas Oil Stadium and walked out with a W. But the Colts found their mojo as much as the Chiefs just couldn't get going all game. Jonathan Taylor, he had 71 yards rushing, while Kansas City as a team had 58. And Patrick Mahomes was their leading rusher in the game with 26 yards. Indy found a way to corral Mahomes, take away the run, and win a tight game that they had no business winning if the kicker <laughs> did his job that he ultimately lost. Mm. Wait. Ultimately lost? He got, yes. he got cut? Yeah, he got cut. Martin Amendola has been cut. I, I did not realize. I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow, okay. Cut. Well, not wow. I'm not surprised necessarily, but I just didn't know it, that it had yeah. officially happened. Yeah, officially they said it on Monday that you know, they were trying out new kickers because Mr. Because Harrison Butker still isn't back. He still isn't back yet. But you know that Amendola was just going to be a placeholder for the yeah, first kicker. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> as soon as, yeah, as soon as um, whoever is in there, as soon as Butker is back, then they're going to be they're going to be out. So, I guess whoever is coming in will just you know try to get as much money as they can mm. as quickly as possible. Now, looking into the <laughs> looking into the chat. Kirk, as always, joining us, he says, on behalf of the Colts, I'd like to thank you all. You're welcome, Kirk. You are definitely welcome. And I'm sure, I'm sure that, um, you know, Mahomes and those guys, they will have to say you're welcome as well. So now, over to second down. And the worst loss of the weekend, or the biggest loser this weekend, is who? <laughs> James Richard Garoppolo. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Ken, that gentleman may have just played himself out of complete relevance. <laughs> like, we already knew that Jimmy was prone to, to, to miss some open throws. Like, that's what we expect, right? And, and to turn over the ball every now and then. That's one thing. But the safety, and you mentioned it in your intro, right? The safety. Good grief. <laughs> I, I also mentioned how happy Dan Olowski was because, no, he, like, he, he, he out of that prison, right? Because Jimmy G, because Ken, that was that was one of the worst things I've ever seen, I, and that was so deplorable, right? Because it's not it's not a situation whereby Jimmy was, you could tell that that he was trying to create some room, so he accidentally like healed the line, right? Ken, the man had two feet planted safely on the outside of the back of the end zone. 
by by the time he threw the ball. It, both feet were outside. Like, what what kind of awareness is that for a quarterback? This is a man that playing for a job. <laughs> Listen, the, the turnovers and everything. Like, I that that that's one thing that was bad enough. But this was just the icing on the cake for me. And and I, I honestly feel like right now, if if Jimmy thought that that his his market was looking a bit scanty after that surgery, just wait till this coming off season. Just wait. <laughs> Oh boy, this is so funny for me, because my biggest I I my biggest loser is also Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> oh, so that was the one. That, that was, was the one. one. <laughs> so just to you know, give everyone a peek behind the curtain, what we have started doing is that we would chat with each other to see who has what, just in case you know we have things that are the same, so that and especially if like. If I'm between one or two teams and I recognize that AJ has the one of the teams I was picking between, then I'll just go to the other one. I told him that we only agreed on one of these categories. And I wanted to see what his argument was going to be. So I was going to leave it alone. I didn't even tell him that this was it. Yes, AJ. And I was going to look for his full name, but I figured that <laughs> you might have done that too. So, yeah. Well played. You know me well. You know me well. <laughs> So yeah, so my biggest loser of this weekend is also Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm reminded of the subway ad when Jimmy G talks about the food his nonna used to make. And she ends the ad by saying, it's a good thing he's so handsome. If nothing else, Jimmy can parlay his chiseled features into something less violent because the violent stuff doesn't seem to be working for him so well. After a week of people saying the 49ers are better with Jimmy at quarterback, Jimmy reminded everybody why they wanted to move him from the starting job and out of San Fran altogether. Jimmy connected on 62% of his passes through a pick and as you said, backpedaling from the line of scrimmage and the oncoming pressure showed a lack of awareness and composure stepping out of the back of the end zone for a safety that made all of us fans of Dan Orlovsky howl with delight. Might I add, that pass he threw stepping out of the end zone was picked off and would have been a pick six if the player wasn't already dead. Porn star Jimmy was at it again and once again his beautiful head will carry the failure of the 49ers season in 2022. You know what, let me, I just want to add, because I feel like we basically had essentially the same points, right? I just want to add on this one part that neither of us mentioned that I, I just remembered actually. And I don't know if you heard the, the commentary, like just before the game had actually kicked off, when the, when um, whoever was the crew that was doing it, we're talking about, you know, Jimmy being back in the lineup and they said they spoke to him and Jimmy said that, he finally feels like he, he can play without pressure. Well, boss, if this is you playing without pressure, and this is what you do, you feel that like a team that can be constantly under pressure to do something is going to, it, it will pick you up? <laughs> I'm, I'm done, Ken. I am done. I'm done. Okay, no problem. So now we move on to third down. Least impressive, but I'm going to go first on this one. It's from that same game. 
The Denver Broncos sit at two and one, but this feels like the most fraudulent two and one in the NFL. We've constantly heard and said, let Russ cook. But right now, he's cooking on an electric stove with no power. The Broncos, I said last week, look lethargic and unprepared playing against the Texans. And now, they have a primetime showdown against the aforementioned 49ers. And to put it mildly, it was bad. Corliss Whitman was the star of the game. And you'll be forgiven for not knowing who he was even after watching the game. Because he's the punter. He kicked 10 punts in that game with an average of 47.6 yards. AJ, quick math. 10 by 47.6 is 470 <laughs> yards of punting. I had near 500 yards, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Eli Manning quipped that they should have paid Whitman the $235 million instead of Russ. But honestly, this is all on the head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who is looking more and more like a one-and-done coach. I honestly do not see a way that Hackett survives with how bad this offense has been through three weeks. Not to mention the time management issues that has the high crowd counting down 40 seconds to let them know get a playoff before a flag is coming and unfortunately denver will suffer for the expensive gamble they made by hiring hackett hoping to lure aaron Rodgers to my height i even heard it mentioned that as the game was going on it looked more and more as if hackett was just the guy standing next to aaron Rodgers. And by proximity, then it made him look good as opposed to him mm. actually being any good. And that is that is a stinging indictment on Hackett. Now, before you jump in here, on the previous mm -hmm. point that we were talking about, Jimmy Kirk said, at this rate, not even the Jets would take Jimmy. So, AJ, over to you. Who was the least impressive victor for you this week? Um, I... I somewhat agree with you that it was the Broncos, but I didn't want to pick them because I know them being your hometown, I know you would have felt a little, you would have felt a kind of way and you would have wanted to address that, right? But there was another win that to me was, it was most concerning was I'm not convinced by, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I Listen, I, like I said, I'm not convinced. They manhandled the Chargers. Away from home at that, like on the road. I, I still, I, I don't buy it, Ken. Justin Herbert clearly was not 100%. We know about his injury. He was, he was a, a game-time decision, essentially. This man completed, Justin Herbert, that is, completed 25 of 45 pass attempts. That is actually his fourth worst completion percentage since he started an NFL game, right? Fourth worst. Yet, you know this man still had more yards through, through the air than Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> the, the Chargers were also missing Keenan Allen, who we know is, is Justin Herbert's favorite target and, and who has a, a historically great um, rapport with Herbert on the field. Um, so that's his favorite receiver being out. They also had some other injuries and they lost Rashawn Slater, the left tackle, and Joey Bosa during the game. That, that's just a lot to have to deal with. 
in one game, like going into one game. You know what I mean? And still, credit to the Jaguars. They did what they had to do. But with all those aforementioned facts in play, like I, I, I just I'm, I'm, I'm still hesitant to buy into the Jaguars stock at this point. I'm not convinced. Okay, no problem. It's, it's interesting to hear how this, this is playing out. And as we keep going, I'm sure the viewers will pick up on it too. So, you know, as always, when we go on fourth down, this is always, you know, the bad down. Um, moral victory. Who gets your moral victory for this week? Um, my division rivals, the Bills. <sighs> Can I, I don't even know. I, I feel like I don't want to delve into this too much. The Bills were one through away. Despite all the injuries they had on defense, despite the heat that clearly was affecting both, both teams, and, and the clock mismanagement that they had in the first half. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those days. They were literally still a throw away. A Josh Allen, uh, 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 just uh, um, an uncharacteristic, uh, uncharacteristically bad throw from Josh Allen away from actually still winning this game. Despite everything that they went through. I... I uh, it's, it's the Bills. It, it was just one of those days. At the end of the day, they're still going to win this division. Okay. No problem. So, my moral victor for this week, this might actually surprise you. It's mm -hmm. actually the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are still trying to figure it out this season. What we see now is not what we're expecting this team to look like in week 15. So, for the Packers... It's vital that they pick up wins wherever and however they can. In their matchup with Tampa Bay, their Achilles heel has been twofold. The inability to stop the run and their own inability to run the football. That was not a good omen for them going into this game because their, their passing game has been less than stellar. Um, and their running game has been what has been carrying them. It's been pretty decent thus far. In this game, they held Tampa to... 34 rushing yards while getting 67 of their own. Rookie Romeo Dobbs, he is showing some improved chemistry with Rodgers and he corralled 8 receptions for 73 yards with one touchdown. Looking ahead, the Pack have the Patriots, the Giants, the Jets and Commanders over the next 4 games, which, I mean, if we're honest, is not the most daunting schedule on paper. Except maybe your Patriots defense. So they still have some time. They still have more time to figure things out. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, sir. So there was a flag on fourth down. And even though the clock is expired, we have an untimed down. So that's what we're calling the biggest surprise of the weekend. An untimed down. So who is your biggest surprise of this weekend? Well, for the first time in a very long time, I have one team in two categories. Because the biggest surprise on the weekend for me was the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because <laughs> winning is one thing, right? But the manner in which they did it was, was, what, it is, was what shocked me. Uh, and as little as I am convinced by that win, there's no way in hell that anyone can tell me that they had on their card that they had... Uh, um, that they had the Jaguars to, to, to basically run away with this game in the, ma in the manner that they did. 
like I, I i can't believe that anyone would bet against the spread right that i had that is to see the jags demolishing the charges in la as even as hurt as justin herbert was who would have expected this who would have expected this 38 to 10 the jaguars if if any man had this prediction let him step forward i i, I don't know a single person who, who would have had this kind of store, store, um score line sorry it may have been a narrow game but 38 to 10 a 28 point victory nah boy biggest surprise of the weekend for me Sorry, I oh, recognize oh. that my microphone was muted. Oh, because I thought yeah. it was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my biggest surprise of the weekend, I actually agree with you. It is indeed the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm -hmm. No, I myself, I wasn't home to watch the game. I was following it on um, Red Zone, so I didn't see how everything played out. But I, you know, on WhatsApp, I'm in a chat with these guys from England, and there's a Chargers fan in the chat. His name is Robbie, and he's on the Monty Talks. Um, NFL podcast and he was drinking heavily and he was swearing <laughs> even heavier during this game <laughs> no, Jacksonville got 100 yards on 17 thoughts from James Robinson Trevor, Trevor Lawrence had 3 touchdowns against one of the teams that was expected to be challenging for the AFC West Chrome I have nothing more to add kudos to them all right, so we have completed all of our downs, and now we are on to a couple of the headlines. And the first one is um, with regards to the Pro Bowl. Now, one of the biggest pieces of news to come out this week were the changes that were being made to the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl has historically been used to celebrate the best players throughout the season by inviting them to play in one more game of football. The problem has been, especially over the last decade at least, the players, after a grueling season putting their body on the line in the pursuit of team success, the last thing they want to do is to put their health at risk for a meaningless exhibition. Yes, it's an honor to be selected for the Pro Bowl, but absorbing these hits make that honor feel a lot like punishment. As a result, it's been a lot of 200 touch and not much honest effort. So the NFL has decided that the Pro Bowl is going to experience a revamp. No more tackle football, but a flag football game will take its place, and we are packing the week with fun activities and skill competitions instead. Do we like these changes? I do. I like them. Um, let's be honest. In, in American sports, you're not going to have like some sort of mid-season spectacle or showcase, right? It has to happen. So there was no, there was no option to like fully scrap um, what would be like a Pro Bowl weekend or, or All-Star, whatever you want to call it. They're going to have something like that, right? That's what they believe in over here. I like the 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 idea, and, and you just mentioned it. Like in, instead of putting these guys on the field to play a game of sorts, because let me be real, like they were kind of playing flag football already without the flags, you know. But um, I like the idea of you no know, officially making it flag football because flag football is supposed to be like for the youngins to enjoy. So I think it adds a bit of whimsy to it, no. And and then having the skills competition. It, uh, that, that is something that they've had back in the day, though. So it's not like completely new. 
I, I just like the idea of bringing that back as opposed to having a meaningless game that was falling out of popularity or had fallen out of popularity over the years. Not even the fans seem to care about it. So clearly the NFL realized that changes had to be made because this weekend generally in Americans, not this weekend, but that weekend generally in American sports is supposed to be to rake in some cash, right? Mm-hmm. Through viewership and whatnot. I, I, I think the revamp was needed. I like the changes that they made. I think it's less stress on, on the players who will participate. Um, still don't expect the top level players to, to be in it. Well, it, they said it's right before the Super Bowl now that. Am I right? Right. So at the end of the season, so I guess it gives it gives way to potentially more, obviously, for more players to want to participate. But I, I like I like this direction. It, it, they needed a change. I like the change that's been brought about. Let's see how it goes. Of course. No, for me, I absolutely love it. I don't just like it. I love it. The lack of intensity in the Pro Bowl made it almost unwatchable. What is supposed to be the best versus the best was anything but with the lack of actual tackling and good defensive play. And the fact that there were no stakes to the game, unlike the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which awards home field advantage to the winning conference, you really couldn't get these multi-millionaires to care about this game. Now we have more funtivities, more things that the players should enjoy, not just the fans. And we have the potential for a truly great Pro Bowl week. I'm looking forward to it. Now, until the point of our taping, they have not announced any of the unique and interesting activities that they're going to be having during this week. But, you know, I'm hoping that they actually are going to be unique and interesting and not just, you know, lame stuff. So before <laughs> we move on, um, there was a comment that came in from Kurt in, Kurt in the chat. He said his biggest surprise was City Lamb catching a pass. That's a little bit low there, Kirk. But, I mean... Tough pro. Yeah, but, you know, CD Lamb did probably miss a walk-in touchdown that was... Yeah. It was right... It was literally in his bread basket, but apparently his basket, you know, has a false bottom. So, <laughs> it, it, it kind of just went by the wayside. Now, after we've talked about the Pro Bowl, now... Um, another matter, another interesting bit of news that came out this week was the announcement that Herm Edwards, former NFL head coach, had agreed to relinquish his position as head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils. AJ, I don't know if you remember when Herm was announced as the head coach of the Sun Devils. One of the, re- the reporters that were there asked him about how does he feel to be coaching you know, the Sun Devils. And Herm said, no, you got to be careful with this devil's thing, you know, and not so much about this devil's thing. I know I'm a good, I'm a good Catholic. He didn't, he didn't yeah. even recognize that Sun Devils was the team's nickname. But I did That I did not know. I didn't know that one. No, Herm is a personal favorite of mine. Yeah. I, I loved his commentary and insights on ESPN before he was enticed back to coaching in Arizona State. No. It's not like we can say that ASU has covered themselves in glory with Herm as the coach as they're currently under investigation by the NCAA for recruiting violations and they started this season 1-2. and two. According to ArizonaSports.com, the Sun Devils lost both of their coordinators to resignations related to the investigation during the offseason. 
and the team put together its worst recruiting class on record and starting quarterback Jaden Daniels went from announcing a return for his fourth season at ASU to entering the transfer portal. In total, Herm went 26 and 20 in his four plus years there and won in two in bowl games. This isn't the story, however. We saw this week that there was skullduggery afoot. Doug Haller of The Athletic reported, an opposing coach recently told The Athletic that it wasn't hard to get intel on this season's team because some within Arizona State Athletics wanted a coaching change. What do you make of this? That is... To make these kinds of accusations mean that, to me, there, there, there has to be like some some measure of truth to this. And I, 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 you, I, you mentioned Herm, right? He always seems to have like a very positive personality, and we've always even heard good things about him as a coach. So I, I'm really at a loss as to what could have caused him to be on the outs with with the athletic department there that, you know, like people were trying to get him out. I believe this story. I believe that's, is that, that people were trying to sell him out. And I, I'm just, I, I'm also at a loss for words. Like I, as usual, as per usual, I want to hear more on the story, but I, I, I just can't believe that it came all the way down to that, that people were trying to sabotage him, not just him, but sabotage their own team just to get him out, it could be ulterior motives, but I'm not going to touch on that. Okay. So we have a, a comment that came in in the chat from Dale. Thanks for joining us, Dale. He says, you know, he gives us one of Herm's favorite quotes. You play to win the game. So AJ, forgive me for a moment, because this probably is going to get a little ranty. Because, like I said, I like, I like Herm. Mm -hmm. I like Herm, right? So, my bias for Herm aside, even I agree that it may have been time for Herm to go. In the same article I referenced earlier, Haller also noted that Edwards didn't make an effort to get familiar with the bylaws of the NCAA and made staffers of the department feel like if he needed to be constantly looked after. For more than a year, the NCAA has investigated recruiting allegations within the football program. Edwards and his staff are accused of hosting recruits during the non-contact period put in place because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Edwards has lost five assistants during the probe, including defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce and offensive coordinator Zach Hill. With uncertainty swirling around the program, recruiting has suffered significantly. And they also said that even though Herm may not have been knowledgeable of the minutia of what was happening, he was aware that the team was covering outside the lights. All right? So, with all that said, sabotaging your head coach to get him fired was not the way to do it, especially it being a respected NFL coach who returned to the college ranks. Those assistants who did this to Herm should be named 
and shamed and never work again as a coach in any capacity because you will drill holes in the hull to sink your own ship. If it is so bad, you quit or you go talk to your boss's boss and lay out what's happening. But you don't actively sabotage your coach by telling tales outside of school. And just a wider point. We make mention of the hiring practices and the Rooney rule in the NFL, where we have 32 teams, but only three black head coaches, which is 9%. With the firing of Herm, we now have 14 black head coaches in the 131 football bowl subdivision, or popularly known as FBS schools, which is 10.7%. Even if it wasn't Herm, I'd be upset, but because it happened to Herm, it feels even more egregious. How is it that you are an assistant coach and you are happy to go to the opposition and tell them what your team is doing how can you be a coach for any team after you pull something like this yeah that's exactly it right like what what, what was what was your end game in doing this what was i i, I guess they thought they should get away with it they, or they will get away with it but i completely agree with your stance in that they should be named and shamed because others should know because like who would want to hire someone like that to be a part of their uh, of, of their organization exactly. stinks is you know it's is similar in a way to when there's a guy that has a girl and another guy comes hollering at his girl and she decides rather than leave the relationship i'm just gonna dip a little bit here on the side do you think that when this relationship that you're in that you're dipping on breaks up how is that guy that you were dipping with going to look at you with what you have been getting up to. Just a thought. So in the chat now we had a question from Kirk. Kirk asked, remind me of the relevance of the NCAA again. And Dale responded to him and said to him, Kirk, money making. That's the relevance of the NCAA. Honestly, the NCAA is purporting itself to be a pipeline for these college athletes to get to the pros because this is supposed to be amateurism. But when you have, in a lot of these cases, the football coach or the basketball coach of these um, top-ranked teams and top-ranked schools making more money than the athletic director, or in some cases more money than even the president of the school, is it really amateurism? When so much money is being generated but none of it is being filtered to the players? That's a conversation for another day. I don't feel like getting into another rant right now. Okay, AJ. So now to overreacting much, where we find the headlines coming out of the week and our storylines coming out of the weekend's ask, action. And we ask the question, overreacting much? So 
This is your baby, so over to you, sir. All right, here we go. So it's time to highlight some of the week three storylines from the NFL and find out from myself and, and my, my Green Braves brother if he thinks that there's some exaggeration going on here. So first of all, Ken, let's talk about a couple of QBs, right? All right. So Lamar Jackson, for the third week in a row, put on a clinic, <laughs> this time against my Patriots. <laughs> but even with like one bad quarter in the game, Lamar was basically unstoppable for, for the majority of the game. And at this point, he leads the league in passer rating 119, passing touchdowns. He has 10 and is joint fourth in rushing yards with 243. So, Ken, is it an overreaction right now to say that Lamar is going to be the league's MVP come season's end? All right. So you gave some figures. I'm going to recap a couple of those and then go a couple of more to add to that. Right now, first mm-hmm. off, I believe that this is a little bit of an overreaction. And I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you why. The Baltimore Ravens are ranked number one in the offense. Number one in offense in the NFL with 33 points per game. Fourth in yards per game. 13th in passing yards per game. And eighth in rushing yards per game. Lamar accounts for it. 89% of their offense, which is an astronomical ratio. And with all of that, it's still an overreaction at this point. In previous seasons, we've seen Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, just to name two mobile quarterbacks, have extremely hot starts to the season, and then they fade down the stretch and be completely out of the voting. My guy, Drew Brees, has played on some so-so Saints teams. He's finished with over 5,000 yards passing multiple times and still didn't win the MVP with his best finish of second in voting. Lamar has had a fantastic start to the year, and if he can keep it up, absolutely he should win MVP. And his second MVP, of course. But right now, I'd still say it's an overreaction. Ask me again in week 10. All right, sir. Fair point. Um, I don't like to start off agreeing with you, but I'm going to agree with you, actually. I think it is a slight overreaction. And I, I, by the way, I, I like those, those um, figures that you gave as well, right? Very, very poignant. Um, what Lamar is doing right now is, is, is incredible. It's nothing short of incredible. And, and his name deserves to be like the front runner. Hence me saying, like, the slight. The reason I think it's an overreaction, though, and you went a lot deeper than I did, this is it for me. It's because in the passing stats, Josh Allen is, like, one touchdown behind him. And he even has more more yards than Lamar. Like, right now, I think Josh Allen is the only quarterback with over 1,000 yards thus far in in three games. Right? And I think the MVP race is going to... At the end of... Coming down to the end of the season, I I believe that these two guys are going to be there. And, and most importantly, though, I trust Josh Allen to stay fit longer. That, that's really it for me. That's the reason why. Okay. I mean, it's interesting that you did bring up Josh Allen's name because before they lost this weekend, Josh Allen was being crowned MVP. It was me. Okay. So. And, and, and to be fair, he was my pick at the beginning of the season. I don't, we, we'd never discussed that, but yeah, he was my pick. So I'm kind of holding on to that. All right, so, oh, let me see the percentage of the Bills' offense production. Kirk, you want to put up Kirk's comment there really quickly before we move on? Sure. 
Yeah, yeah that would be interesting. Like the Bills offensive yeah. <laughs> Ken will find out for you next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, By I, next I, week, I, we I, should I, have that I, info. <laughs> I'll let that out for you, Kurt. Don't worry. All right, so let's move on, though. Let's shift to another QB that put on a show on Sunday as well. And I actually mentioned him a bit earlier. Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick in 2021. He had his joint best completion percentage, joint most touchdowns in the game, and his second highest QB rating in their, in the Jags 38-10 to 10 route of the Chargers on the road. So Trevor started the season in some fine form as well, basically fulfilling the potential that he was projected to have and being a huge part of the Jags now being atop the AFC South. Is the notion that Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in his division that of an overreaction, Ken? So, in your lead for this one, you said that he's paying off the um, promise, basically, that mm. he had coming out of college. I actually don't think that he's doing that yet because when they talked about him coming out of college, he was supposed to be the next Peyton Manning. He was supposed to be like not Tom Brady coming out of college, but mm. Tom Brady-esque in the pros. And we have not seen that yet. However, as much as I would love to say is an overreaction, and you know that I do not, I'm not a huge Trevor Lawrence guy. Mm-hmm. To do so at this point in time would be disingenuous. It's not an overreaction. The AFC South has Lawrence, Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, and Davis Mills at starting quarterback. Of that lot, this season, Lawrence has the highest QBR by almost 30 points, the highest completion percentage, the most touchdowns, and the least interceptions. He's also the most mobile when we take into account his ability Versus the stats, because really and truly, none of the four of them have been running much. I have to give it mm-hmm. to Trevor. He's the best of a bad bunch. Well, you said everything I had. I was going to say. So there's, there's no reason for me to repeat. All of, The only thing that I, different I have that you either didn't mention or whatnot is the fact that I'm going, I was going to say that this is an underreaction. He's by far... He is by far the best quarterback in that division, by far, by far. And you know I'm actually like a Matty Ice like supporter in a sense. I, I defend the guy a little bit. He hasn't been the same since that third quarter a few years ago, right? Anyway, let us move on from the quarterbacks, uh, from the players to the teams, but we're going to stay in the AFC. So the only team to start this season with an 0-3 record is those Raiders now living in Las Vegas. So... What kind of reaction is it, and keep this one short, to suggest that their playoff hopes are over? <laughs> this, is, this is probably the biggest not an overreaction that you, you sent me this week. Listen, I thought the Raiders were going to be good this year. I didn't think great. Because great meant they would win the division, and I picked them to come last. But I did have them to be a double-digit win team this season, and they're making me out to be a fool for that prediction. They lost in week one to the Chargers, who haven't won since. 
The Cardinals in week two, who themselves got pounded by the Chiefs out the gate and lost to the Rams this week. And now to the Titans, who were winless coming into this game. It seems like if the Raiders are the get-right team for this season. You want to win, play the Raiders. Dan Orlovsky said on the Rich Eisen show, I think it was just today, that Derek Carr seems to be actively looking away from Devante Adams based on what he, Orlovsky, identified in the rope combinations and the defenses after force feeding him the ball in week one. It was he said that it was so bad that when you look at what like what the defense was doing and the rope combinations, you know, usually we you can look at the, the field and work out what's happening on both sides. So mm-hmm. what's happening on the left side and what the defense is doing on that side might not necessarily match up with what's happening on the right side. And what Dan said was that he's looking at the tape and the row combination that is on the side that Devontae Adams is on is actually perfect for what the defense is doing. There is an opportunity to get the ball to 17 on that side of the field, hmm. but Derek Carr is not looking in that direction. Where it's working on, let's say on the left side, his attention is focused on the right where the defense is actually working much better against what their offensive scheme was set up to do. So I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're actually doing down in Vegas. And, you know, we're already hearing of Josh McDaniels, you know, Kirk's favorite coach, being mm-hmm. called up to the owner and grumblings mm-hmm. in the media about they should fire Josh McDaniels. There's a lot wrong in Vegas and some of these teams are ahead of my schedule in their play and positioning for the postseason. Right now, I don't see how the Raiders make it. That is a very fair and introspective analysis. Um, But I still think it's a slight overreaction. Slight. Slight. Just a slight. I'll tell you why. I'm I'm not going to dive as deep as you. Um, with regards to like breaking down play and whatnot, because I'm not saying that the, the Raiders actually do have the tools on the field to do it, but I still think it's an overreaction because I'm looking around at at the pool, the AFC pool. There's only a handful of teams that I can look at and say, well, yes, these teams are division winners, and yes, these are playoff teams. I, I don't trust a lot of these teams. The fact is that outside of that, that um, those teams that I just mentioned, I previously mentioned. There's a cluster of underperformers, I feel like, who will still be like clamoring for, for a spot in the wildcard weekend at this point. And, and I still believe, honestly, that the Raiders have a chance to be a part of that amazing race. Two, <laughs> two of their division rivals also lost in week three, you know, and, and, and the remaining team won. Uh, and, and, and yes, I know, like, it's, I, there's a lot, I've been a lot of, Things I've been seeing in week two that I haven't been convinced by, and and like I said, whether they have what it takes to to actually fix the issues is another story. But just judging solely by the record thus far and the personnel that they do have outside of Josh McDaniels, because I was actually skeptical of him, but personnel on the field, right? <laughs> I still think that Sin City is very much a part of this at least wild card hunt. And once you make it to wild card weekend, anything can happen. So a postseason can happen. I. I, 
there are just a lot of teams I'm seeing here that that are expected to that were came into the season expecting to be playoff teams that are not that far ahead of the Raiders. Like one good run could put them back into contention. I just don't see them reaching ten and seven. Not <laughs> that is that is completely fair. So that's completely fair. All right, so let, let's carry across quickly to my division, the FC East, where there was a showdown between the division title hopefuls. So Miami came out on top 21 to 19 to take top spot of not just the division, but the entire AFC. So Ken, at 3-0, and with a win over the projected AFC favorites, is it fair to say that the Dolphins are now the best team in the conference? All right, so just before we get to that, let me just put Kirk's comment up because Kirk said, you know, as I said, he 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 loves Mr. McDaniels. He said, notwithstanding McDaniels, I do agree that the Raiders can do it. They just seem to be stepping on their own toes. Okay, that's fair. Uh, we'll see how that goes. So, in relation to the Dolphins, this is an overreaction, but only slight. The fact is that the Dolphins are the only undefeated team in the AFC. By yards, they have two of the top three wide receivers in the league in Jenna Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Both have multiple touchdowns. One has two, one has three. Offensively, they're in the middle of the pack in yards per game, but they're eighth in points per game. Defensively, they're second last in yards per game and 16th in points. The Patriots, the miracle comeback at Baltimore, and now the Bills are the teams they've beaten so far. They have all of the bona fides you can point to right now and put them high up on the list of best teams in the conference. But I still feel like they need to show more. They need to have a longer run of consistent play and keep stacking the wins. And then it can't be denied. But as long as they have Tua at quarterback and their running game continues to struggle, it will be difficult to crown them the best when Allen and Mahomes are out there and are currently just one loss behind the fence. All right. So, you said it's a slight overreaction. I, I think this is a huge overreaction. This is, this is the first one I, I have for the day. This is a huge overreaction to me. Uh, it has nothing to do with my hatred for the Dolphins, but I, I don't even want to deep dive into this. The fact is the Dolphins still are not better than the Bills. I mentioned this before. It was one of those days. The Bills had so many injuries, key injuries. They were missing three quarters of their secondary. They were missing two defensive tackles, and and they still they still basically managed to keep the um, the Dolphins' offense at bay, right? Mm-hmm. In in addition to all of this, and I, I've mentioned this already as well, the Bills were one uncharacteristically underthrown ball away from actually winning this game. Come on. The Bills still have the best defense. Like, like statistically, they're the best defense in the league at, at this point this season. We know what they were last season. They've carried that over. Even missing um, personnel on the field in week three, they're still the best defense in the league after week three. And they have Josh Allen. Come on, spare me. It's the Bills. <laughs> okay, no problem. All right. All right, so final one. Um, we're going from the AFC leaders now to the NFC leaders. So the Eagles dismantled their opposition for the second week running to soar to the apex of the NFC. So Ken, does their 3-0 record justify the Eagles being called the best team in the NFC at this point? So I really hope that deal is still here. 
Because last week we were complimentary to his egos. He didn't tell me that he heard, but I'm sure that he was around or he would have heard some of what we would have said. With regards to the the Eagles being the number one team in the NFC, this is definitely not an overreaction. Last week, I was saying that the Vikings were the best team in the NFC heading into their matchup at the link. What was to be a duel between Jalen Hurts and Kirk Cousins turned into a poppy show by the Kirkman because... He still can't perform and the lights are on. Jalen Hurts is playing the best football of his life. Passing relatively accurately from the pocket, especially in this last game where he had over 300 yards and just five, five incompletions. AJ Brown has been a huge boost to this offense, and Devonta Smith just had his best game of the season. They're ranked number one in yards per game, fifth in points per game. Their defense is stingy, setting sixth in yards and seventh in points and third in, take, in turnover differential. Everything is working right now in Philly. No, they just need to maintain it. All right, good. So we're going to have a little disagreement for this last one because I still think, I think that the record does not justify it. I think this is an overreaction. I'll tell you why. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you why. All credit due to, 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 to Philly, right? They look very good. And you just mentioned all of the stats that they have and, and I cannot take that away from them. But I still think that the Rams are the best team in this conference. I still believe so. Listen, the Eagles, who were a playoff team last year, so far, they beat three teams this season who missed the, the postseason last year, right? The Detroit Lions, not a playoff team. Primetime Kirk Cousins and the Vikes, obviously, did not make the playoffs. And then they, they, they had to face their quivering old boy, Carson Wentz, and his woefully anemic commander's offense. No playoffs for, them, for either of them last season. The Rams are only a game behind Philly, and that loss is too the projected AFC favorites that I, I aforementioned, the Buffalo Bills, best team in the AFC, obviously a playoff team. And then they beat the Falcons and then went into Arizona and beat the Cardinals, another playoff team. The Rams still have some stuff that they need to get together. And I believe that they will in the coming weeks. So th things are picking up slowly but surely, right? And, and, and they're going to remind everyone, not myself because I already know it, but they'll remind everyone else who the best team in the NFC really is. It's, it's the LA Rams, the reigning Super Bowl champs. I, uh, I just don't see it, man. I, I just don't see the Rams. I don't see the Rams as the who, best team in the NFC. Who, in the, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm judging it off of, just like in, in, in college football, who you beat matters. And that's, that's, that's where my analysis is coming from right now. Because it, it, it looks really good. It looks really good what the Eagles have been doing so far. But in the, in the first week, they escaped from the Dolphins. And, and not Dolphins, the, the, from Detroit, from the Lions. I love the Lions, though. I, I, the Lions are my boys, you know? But they still put up 35 points. And, but the Lions' offense has been good. Fair enough. But then they beat, I, 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 and we both, you mentioned it in your, uh, in your analysis as well. Primetime Kirk Cousins still can't perform when the lights are on, right? And then it was Carson Wentz. That, Ken, you know how you feel about Carson Wentz, too. I'm just saying, like, like 
all those factors coming into play. It, it's not like they're running away with it at this point. It's not they are the only three and and0 team, which is really good, but the Rams are right behind. And I still think in terms of personnel, I trust the Rams more. The thing, it, it, it is very rare that a team, and, and remember we had this discussion, of, uh, it was, was it the beginning of last season? When, you, when the Buccaneers announced that they were able to bring back all of their starters, and you said that means nothing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Players are going to get injured. It just has not happened. And I'm not wishing injury on anyone, but it happens. And, and, and the Eagles are going to have to deal with that at some point in time this season. I think it, it, it is better for the Rams to have started slow and then pick up during the season, knowing what they have already done. Like they, They've been here before. They know. I, I, I'm not convinced that the Eagles at this point have what it takes to, to deal with like a, a little meltdown as the season progresses. I, I need to see it to believe it. They, they could still win this division, but I'm, I, in terms of like being the, the overall best team in the NFC, I don't buy it as yet. So, um, Omar Claire, he said, not the Rams. Nah. So, he's on my side. Uh, Kirk says that his point to deal is that, well, a 3-0 and record sounds good to beat three schoolyard teams. All right. So, that that we take that point. But when you're talking about, look at the, look at the level of opposition that you've beaten. The only playoff team that the Rams have beaten so far this season are the Cardinals. But they played they played two playoff teams. That's the point. They played two of them. And and they and, got and are one on one. By the and first it, one. They got beat. And in week one, yeah, in week home. one. In week one. In week one. That's fine. That's fine. They're still two on one. They're still two on one. The, so, the so, Eagles haven't run away with it as yet. One game, the difference in one game can't convince me that this team is much better. They're having a better... You know who started 3-0 last year? The Carolina Panthers. And who was... There was another team that started 3-0. But just remember, the Carolina Panthers were 3-0 last year. Just remember that. All right, cool. Cool. No, I, I'm not going to forget that, but you know... What no, that was, that was for everyone else as well. But you know what I also remember? These Arizona Cardinals that you, that you were making mention of, you know they stumbled into the playoffs last season, right? Um, I'm looking. The Vikings. The Vikings couldn't even stumble in. The Vikings but, didn't even stumble in. But that's. But that's not. That is not the point. Stumbling is stumbling in is still better than not stumbling in. Is it though? Because the Cardinals <laughs> yeah. started really good last season, and then I'm looking. I'm looking at their schedule. I'm literally looking at it right now. But can but I, I feel like you're 34. overlooking. You're no. overlooking the fact that the Cardinals are in a tougher division and and stumbled in. So they started off well, they, they faltered, but they still stumbled in, in a tougher division, as opposed to the Vikings, who are who are for the better part of a decade have been the second best team in their division. Right? AJ, and they could not stumble in. AJ, they, there's no other competition, and they still AJ, couldn't get in. AJ, in the last four weeks of the season, the Cardinals went one and three. They lost to the Lions, to the Colts, and the Seahawks. And then they got blown up by the Rams in the playoff game. So they went 1-3 and three in the regular season, and they've started this season 1-2. and two. The Cardinals haven't been playing good football for, if you include the summer, a cal- almost a calendar year. They've, they've, they've not been playing well, but they're the win that you're pointing to for the Rams. No, I'm be- not. No, no, no. 
I'm not pointing to the win only. I'm saying that the Rams have faced two playoff teams because I mentioned the fact that the Bills are who they are and they are the AFC favorites going into the season. Right, so the Rams lost to them. They got blown out. Cool. And I even, I even picked the Bills to win that game. But the fact of the matter is the Rams are still 2-1 and one, having played two. So they're 1-1 one and one against playoff teams. They're 1-1. One and one. To me, that counts for more than being three. Right, let me say this. They're 1-1 one and one against playoff teams with an overall record of 2-1. and one. To me, that counts for more than being 3-0 and oh against non-playoff teams. Even if the non-playoff teams are playing better than the playoff team. Yes, is- yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, because these boys in noble playoffs, the, the Vikings had a great start of the season and then they get shallow. I, again, and, and you even mentioned it, how will we overlooking this? Kirk Cousins in prime time. So that's not a fact. You said it, so we're not doing So when it comes to like, when it comes to, to, to mitigating factors, we're saying that this doesn't count towards the Eagles having win and the Vikings looking terrible that night. Kirk Cousins in prime time, he couldn't do well. So the Eagles took it cool. And then Carson Wentz. And then in week one, it was Jared Goff, who they barely, who they barely outduel. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that they're the best team. They're all, all, with all the numbers and everything, I'm not convinced. When they beat, if they beat a team who is supposed to be a, a, a playoff caliber team, not a team looking to get into it, a team that was actually there, all right, you might change my mind. As of now, I still think it's the Rams. Okay, no problem. I'm sure that we will have this discussion. Oh yeah, um, as oh, yeah. spirited as it has been, it's going to. This is going to continue for a while, especially oh, yeah. since right now these two teams are currently sitting at the top of their divisions as well as at the top of the conference. So, as as fun as this has been, Agent, this is where we have to bring it home. Yeah, um, yeah. So, for everyone that has been with us tonight, we do thank you for being with us as always. For those of you who listen to the audio-only podcast of the show, um, you will be able to hear it very shortly. As soon as we, we wrap up here, it will be uploaded. Um, the fantasy spot, you may have noticed that it has not happened for the last couple of weeks. That has been a bit by design because right now it's still a little early in the season. So we'll be back with that in a few weeks. Um, to give you some updates, with especially with regards to our fantasy league, which I am currently 0-3 in, and <laughs> and also to help you get ready for the second half of the fantasy season, including the playoffs. So, as always, that is AJ, he is the green, I am Ken, I am the beige, and we will see you next time.